We are continuing Psalm 119. And uh, again, it doesn't work, but it's just hanging there. What, rumbling, what an inferior technology. <laughs> Good morning again. Good morning. For those of you in the back pew, I'm here, even though you can't see me. <laughs> but we are looking again, we're continuing to look at Psalm 119, which is taking us through uh, an understanding of, of the value of the Word of God. We, we've looked at attitudes and choices, promises, uh, the gains that God shows us will come from our immersion in the Word of God. And one of the things that we looked at along the way um, was just the spiritual victory that is promised through this passage. But I want us to look at a very uh, sort of focused aspect this morning. And we had a couple of passages read for us. You'll turn to Ephesians 6 again that Mark just read for us. Ephesians 6. And again, this is this is the, the passage on the armor of God. Uh, now, many of you have been believers for many years. And many of you have been believers going to churches for many years. And many of you have been believers going to churches listening to sermons on the armor of God for many years. Um, you know, one of the things when Whenever I, I look at a passage that I'm very familiar with, I really want to encourage for myself, and I really want to encourage for you that we go to the Word of God with, with this mindset that every time, every single time I go to the Word, I go to the Word as a student. And, and the recognition that I'm not just going to fact, I'm not just going to get facts, I'm not just getting uh, maybe a new insight or the Greek on Hebrew or whatever's behind it. I'm not just getting more information that I need to hear fresh from the Word of God. I hope you guys love this word. For the purpose of growth. I'm a student committed to growth, not just a student who's there to learn more things. But that out of the things we learn, out of the things that God speaks to us, that we're actually saying, I, I want my relationship with God to keep growing. I want my relationship, the actual love and effectiveness, my relationship with my wife or husband or children or parents or brothers and sisters, friends, enemies. I really literally am coming for the Holy Spirit to help me grow my relationships. And if all we do is we come to the word for knowledge, and it doesn't result in growth. That's, uh, I'm going to get sort of gross here. That's like spiritual bulimia. We take it in and we puke it up. And we, we don't keep it for nourishment. And so the recognition, I want to take it in and then I want it to be changing. Changing attitudes, changing the way I think, changing the choices I make. So, you know, with all of this stuff we're looking at, and I, I really pray this, and I, I really hope that you're asking this and choosing this for yourself. So we've been, we've been doing 11 or 10, and now we're on 11, uh, through this chapter on the Word of God. And I hope that all of us, all of us would literally say at the end of this study, there is something richer in my pursuit of the Word of God now than there was 11 or 12 sermons ago. Not because Reg is such a fantastic speaker. That is so absolutely not the point. But because the Word of God is amazing and I've been paying attention and I've been digesting it for growth. And so some of my attitudes are wiser, some of my choices are stronger, some of my actual living out the things that God has been speaking are more effective than so here we are at Ephesians 6, the armor of God passage that most of you have never ever heard a single sermon on. So we're going to bring you up to speed on that. Um, 
and we're, we're, we're still in 119 when we're doing Ephesians 6. So we're really just getting a little bit out of each one, but again, for the purposes of growth. And you know this, but in verse 10, he, he clarifies the context. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. So this is his strength that we are, we are examining. Strength, Jesus. I understand that in some schools now, they don't want to correct spelling because they don't want you to feel bad. <laughs> but I know you won't let me get away with it. Strength. His strength. And, and the context, and it fits with so many, so many truths that we've studied over and over again, where Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And Paul says, I am in Christ. Christ is in me. And Paul says, I cannot live this life apart from the faith of Jesus Christ dwelling in me. So that recognition that what we're studying about, again, it's not just a doctrine, it's a mindset. So you're going to go into your week, I'm going to go into your week, and we get to start choosing right now, if we haven't already chosen, we get to start choosing, Father, I want to go through this week where over and over and over again, I just acknowledge to you, Father, I cannot do this day apart from the life and power of Jesus Christ. I cannot fight this battle and win these things apart from the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. So, Father, let's get real clear. That's what I'm choosing. And so, as we continue with this, he says, put on the full armor of God. And I'll just say this now. Three times in this passage, he said, stand firm. And we've talked about the fact what Psalm, when Psalm 119 says, establish my ways. <clears throat> Let's get firm in this stand. So part of it for you and I, as, as frequently as we hit this thing is the recognition I get to notice where I'm not firm. Where are you not firm? Where can the enemy shake you up a little? Where do you have a history of folding in the face of battle? That you get to say, Father, I get to recognize where I'm not very firm. I get to recognize the areas where I'm not solidly established in faith or obedience or growth. I get to notice that, not, not for condemnation, not for shame, not for hopelessness, but I get to notice that, so I come to you with a, with a fresh agreement. Father, let's get firm in this area. Jesus, Holy Spirit, let's get firm in this area. And I promise, well, not I promise you, the Word of God does, every single one of us has areas where we are not yet firm where we have not yet reached the high calling that is available to us in some area of our lives. And so this is not about failure. This is about honest recognition of, I still, I still have areas as a student to grow. And I need to get to the place where I'm standing firm. But he also says this, because again, this armor is for battle. Stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And Psalm 119 will reflect this in a couple of ways that we're looking at, that there's a recognition, I have enemies. I have thinking, choosing enemies. So I, I was thinking about, you know, when we're called to practice in the Word of God, and, and Paul uses that word, practice these things. Practice. Practice makes perfect. That we keep getting better and better at applying what we know. We may already know it very well, but we get stronger and more consistent at applying what we know in the areas where we struggle or where the enemy attacks. And I was just picturing uh, two armies coming to battle. And, and one army is out there and they're in the field and they're practicing and they're 
fine-tuning their aim and they're fine-tuning their speed of getting to their weapons. They're just practicing and practicing and practicing. And, and you and I are over here in this other army. And somebody says, you better practice for battle. And we go, oh, I already know that stuff. I know how to shoot my weapon. I, I know how to gear up. I know how to run. I know how to dive. I know how to get cover. I know how to do those things. I don't need to practice. I know them. I have the knowledge. Now, what would you say if, if you were the advisor for this army? You're watching those guys practice, and you're watching this army be content because they know this stuff, but they're not going to practice. That would be your advice. My advice, I think, would be Get off your posteriors and start practicing. Because you know what? Those guys are practicing. They're going to be a hair better, a hair readier, a hair truer in their aim, a hair more motivated. The difference for us is we're not battling a physical army. We're battling demonic spirits. We're battling a thinking, choosing Lucifer who has hated God and hated the people of God for thousands of years. And again, it's worth recognizing. I'm going into a battle against an army that has been practicing for thousands of years. Literally practicing for thousands of years. What hope could I possibly have unless I'm joining an army that's been triumphant longer than that. <laughs> Unless I'm joining an eternal God, the general who has been defeating the enemy for thousands of years without faith. Yeah. When it's ever a battle between God and Satan, it's not a it's not an arm wrestling contest. And we've talked about this and yes, I, I saw a couple of you get that. That in the final battle when Jesus returns, it doesn't say, and then Jesus came to earth and, and he wrestled and he fought and he said, quick, I need more ammo. Jesus shows up and he ends the enemy with a word. It was never a battle between God and Lucifer. But you and I are in a battle and then we better draw on this. So this word of God so we'll continue now in Ephesians 6. When he says, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having never done everything to stand firm. And he says, gird your loins with truth. Put on the breastplate. Again, been to numerous sermons, and it's worth recognizing that each one of these comes with an active command. Pick it up and put it on. It already exists. It already belongs to you. But if it just sits on the shelf of my life, it's not doing me any good. I have to pick up the belt of truth and put it on. I have to pick up the shield of faith and, and use it against those fiery arrows. I have to pick up, take up, put on. I make choices every day. You make choices every day. Is this, am I really doing this? Or do I simply believe in the idea of it? And I think a lot of our defeat, defeat spiritually frequently, and I know in me, a lot of our defeat spiritually is because we know it and we don't do it. So we sort of feel comfortable knowing it. So this is worth a personal challenge. To what extent 
Can I look into my day, into my practices, into my thought life through the day and say, I'm doing these things. I'm putting on. I'm picking up. I'm swinging. I'm doing these things. But I also want, to, want us to recognize something that really takes us back to Psalm 119. Every one of these things depends on the word of God. Now, this one's sort of like real obvious. The sword, which is the word of God. If we can't get that connection, back to square one, back, back, to, back to first grade. But all of them require the word. How will I know truth, spiritual truth? Not just human truth, not the truth of my experience. The truth of my experience might be real, but it's a small t truth. It has no power and no authority to defeat the enemy. It has no power and no authority for me to stand against an army that has been practicing for thousands of years. And if I stood on the battle with Lucifer and his forces, and it's just little old me, they'd be picking their teeth with my bones. Yeah. <laughs> there would be no contest, and I mean that. There would be no contest. There's no cleverness in me. There's no wisdom in me. I would be slaughtered in every spiritual battle if I try to go against the enemy with the small truth of my life or my wisdom or my efforts. And so this recognition that God said, don't you dare go against the enemy with your own truth. Come with my truth. My truth will help prepare you for battle. My truth and some of you know this. I, I, in fact, I'm just going to write it up there. So in 2 Corinthians 5.21, somebody please recite that verse for me. Work it really fast. <laughs> Read it out loud. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus became our sin, and we talked about that. You, you guys know that. There was this incredible exchange of Jesus becoming our sin at the cross. But there's there's a, a follow-through to that exchange. It wasn't just Jesus becomes our sin at the cross, it's then he grants us all his righteousness. I just read a thing this week where somebody was, was describing or, or discussing this passage, and I, I strongly disagreed with what they had to say because they said this part of the passage was about my righteousness. So the truth comes from God, the sword comes from God, the shield comes from God, everything comes from God, but here's one piece of my armor that will extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy, and it's my righteousness. Okay, we're back to the demons picking their teeth yeah, with right. me if that's how I'm going to be protected from those attacks. I have to keep remembering that I wear the righteousness of Christ. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, even though you could look at every single day of your life and still see the ongoing battle with sin, still see your vulnerability to temptation, and hopefully through the days and the years and the months, you keep seeing growth, but on your best day, on my best day, we'd still be able to look at our track record and go, wow, I'm still sinning. Thank God and praise God, like Paul says, that, that what's left behind has been overcome. But I still have things in front of me to grow. So my only hope is that I can stand against the enemy with a righteousness that didn't come from me. And I would never know anything about that without the word of God. That's not natural wisdom. It would never occur to me in a, in a godless universe without truth, without the word, just me, to go into spiritual battle against forces of darkness that hate me and somehow think to myself, I sure hope I'm wearing somebody else's righteousness because mine is not enough. So every part of this armor is about something that Jesus has accomplished and delivered to you, something that the Word of God prepares and presents to you for battle. So that even in this, we recognize, I want to keep growing in righteousness, but my shield is the righteousness of Christ. So 
I'm, I'm working with several people right now in, in counseling that have actually used this analogy. Different people in very different circumstances that at different moments have said, I literally felt like there were demons just shooting me one thought after the other, one attack right after the other. And they're learning how to go to the word of God to answer those attacks, to respond to those attacks, to extinguish the fire of those attacks. So if the enemy says you're worthless, if the enemy says you're hopeless, if the enemy says you should just quit because you're never going to make it, you're never going to get there, how do you answer the enemy? And if your only answer is, well, sure, I, I have failed for 37 years in a row, but I'm, I'm really hoping that tomorrow will be better. What a weak answer. Yeah. But if I know this, if I, you know what, the God who began a good work in me is determined to bring it to a mature completion, and he will not quit until the day of Christ's return. That's hope. That's an answer to hopelessness. And on and on and on, that you and I get to keep gathering up the word of God so that when those arrows come against us, we put up the shield of faith, which means I'm believing in what my Father has spoken. I am believing in what Jesus has accomplished for me. I didn't earn it. I just put my faith in him, and then he brought it all to me. He's my armorer. He's my equipper. You know, I, I, I like reading history. Uh, I wish I had more time to read more. But it's interesting how many times through, through history, people had to just protect their village or their home or their city, or their state, or their country, by what they had lying around the house. Get the deer gun, sweetheart. You start loading it, and I'll start shooting. And in this battle, God says, I'm bringing all the ammunition, literally and truly. I am bringing all the weapons of warfare. I'm bringing all the power and authority that you need for this battle. So be smart enough to take up my armor, don't use your own stuff. And it's it's amazing to me, and I've, I've heard this numerous times, and I've even seen this moment in myself, sadly, too many times, where we're, we recognize even that we're in some kind of battle. The enemy's doing something to discourage us or to thwart us or, or to somehow turn our attitude aside from peace and joy and genuine love and compassion. And we see the battle, and we get a little further into the battle, and maybe a little further and a little further, and we finally go, oh, I forgot to pray. I hope you've never had that moment, but I know you have. Yeah. And it's like, what is so dense in me that after years of being a believer, I can go into battle, be, be several steps into that battle, be several discouragements into that battle before it finally dawns on me. I need to go to the word of God. I need to go into the conversation with God and gather up his weaponry. And that's part of what, what we're being prepared for. Let's see here. How are we doing? So if you will turn to, if, back to Psalm 119. And again, we already talked about this passage, but I want to I just put it up here. Out of Psalm 119. Where's my little eraser here? Out of Psalm 119.11, where when I'm facing temptation, when I'm facing the enemy seeking to pull me down into sin, when you're facing temptation, when Satan is saying, I have this thought I would like you to pursue. I have this little thing I would like you to think you can get away with. I have this attitude that you know it's quite not quite the attitude of Jesus Christ, but I want you to just sort of be okay with that unchristlike attitude for a while. You know what? In fact, it's probably good for you to keep this unchristlike attitude because I think your wife deserves it. I think your husband deserves it. I think your children have you you've had it up to here. With their ungodliness, I think they need a little taste of the same nose. And it doesn't matter how the enemy presents it, it might not be family, it might just be internal.
internal battles versus truth and falsehood. But the enemy will be there to tempt you. And what this passage says is I've treasured your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've treasured it. I've hidden it. There are places in my heart and my thinking where I am storing up the word of God so that I'm ready for that battle. Go to verse 78 of 119. May the arrogant be ashamed, for they subvert me with a lie, but I shall meditate on your precepts. The word hidden in 11 is going to be how I win that battle. Here, I meditate on precepts. And at the beginning of this process, we talked about the fact the word precepts is a particular word, and it means the details of God's commands. It means get, get down into the weeds of what Scripture talks about for my life. Don't just settle for general principles. You know, it's amazing to me that when we settle for general principles, we usually get tricked <laughs> down in the weeds. We get tricked and we, and we succumb in the details. And so he's saying, when there's a lie, when the enemy is coming against me with a lie, I better be meditating on the details of God's word. I need to be pondering different truths about relationships and communication. <coughs> oh, it says Reg. Good. Thank you. I don't know who did that. Just want to make sure I wasn't sharing cooties. Um, in that. <laughs> it's been 37 years since you heard that. <laughs> But the, when the lie comes against me, I need to be down into the details of Scripture. And again, that, that, those flaming arrows that would bring doubt or deception to me, I need specifics from God. And it amazes me how frequently in different people's lives, whether it's counseling or just conversation, just among us in fellowship, that someone can be sort of fooled with an attitude or the possibility of something that is actually sinful. And then they see something specific from the word of God and they go, oh, wow. Okay. And if there's a heart there, a heart that's inclined toward obedience, that simple word that clarifies the choice is enough for them to win that battle. But without that detail of the word, those general principles can be foggy enough that we are fooled into sin. So, I've had several people through, through the years, many people, not even some, many people through the years who are believers, as far as I can tell, genuine believers, and they are not in the Word on a regular basis. They're not studying the Word. They're not reading the Word. They, they hear it when they go to a sermon. Maybe they hear it at a, at a Sunday school class, but they're not in the Word to gather up the details. And usually, if you know them well enough, you see the gaps. Doesn't mean they've lost their salvation. It's just if I'm not getting into the details of God's Word, I am vulnerable to a lie. And I might, I might have the general principles that protect me from big sins, I thought he was just excited about the sermon. I was okay. <laughs> but that recognition, you and I need the details of God's word again. That's what this word means. I need to get into the details and meditate on it. Now, here's the deal about meditation. Meditation doesn't mean just think about it. It means take it apart and see how it works. Figure out how it applies to this and to this and to this. I need creative help from the Holy Spirit to take sometimes even a really clear statement in Scripture and start to see how does that apply to my life. And that's particularly true, I think, a lot of times in terms of attitudes. Where I go, okay, well, I'm not going to steal, I'm not going to murder, got that, you know, got the basics. 
And now I'm, I'm reading this thing you know, about have this attitude in, in you that was also in Christ, who was willing to sacrifice himself to the point of death as a servant. And therefore, consider the other person's needs more important than your own. That, that's in Philippians 2. So this absolutely crazy God is telling you to put other people's needs first. What in the world is he thinking? He's thinking a lot. And he's saying, if you'll sit and think with me, I'll show that. I'll show you where that's going to change your attitude. But if you don't sit and think with me, you can even agree that it's true, and you can walk back to your day, and you can walk back to your relationships, and nothing will change. So if you agree with me that it's true, now I'm telling you, you're going to have to sit and ponder it with me. You're going to have to look at your life and go, Father, where are the specific areas that you right now, in love and power and authority, your desire even to bless me, where would you like me to put someone else's needs ahead of my own? And immediately, God's going to start meddling. He's going to start picking at me for areas that are not easy. Because if it was easy, I'd probably already be doing it. What he's saying is, this will not be possible for you. You're going to have to bring that attitude to me. I'll show you where I want your attitudes to change and for you to put someone else's needs first. That husband, that wife, your parents, your children, your friend, your neighbor, your brother and sister in the body of Christ, there may be some area that you wouldn't even pause to recognize God wants to change until you're meditating on that verse. You're meditating on that truth. You're picking at the details of your life with God. And then you're remembering, oh, and you're going to be the power that helps me do this. You are absolutely the power that's going to help me do this. So every time I read that passage in Philippians 2, it really does occur to me, God is telling us to do something that is humanly crazy, humanly unreasonable. And for the most part, humanly impossible. And we can do it in, in very specific ways. So I was, you know, reading the scripture, I can't remember where it was a couple of weeks ago, and, and God is talking about the fact that it's even, it's even natural outside Christianity, outside any relationship with God. It's natural for mommies to protect their babies. It's natural. Millions and millions and millions of, of parents through the, through the centuries have protected their children at the sacrifice of their own life without needing to believe in God. Sort of comes natural. But the further away a culture gets from the teachings and the wisdom and the heart and the compassion and the character of God, we are watching the erosion of even that natural commitment. We, every night on the news, and I try to not watch the news every night. I try to watch it about once a week. But the more, the more our culture descends into a post-Christian culture, even that natural desire of parents to protect their children is, is eroding. Because we cannot get too far from God's design for us without warping and damaging and destroying that design. But if I'm in the Word, now God's going to say, oh, I want to take this way past the natural. I want to take this into areas that are impossible for you without my help. So this isn't just about protecting your children from a physical threat and you give your life to get them out of the burning building. This is about sacrificing time for the other person's need. This is about sacrificing convenience and preference for the other person's need. And, and today's sermon is not about Philippians 2, but I'm just using that as an example. That principle will challenge every single one of us to change something if we get down into the weeds and ponder the details of how God wants this to apply to our lives. And if I skip the meditation, I will skip the growth. I have to ponder this with him. Go to 110 here in Psalm 119. 
The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not gone astray from your precepts. The wicked have laid a snare for me. And again, in light of, of Ephesians 6, to recognize the wicked we are dealing with is not human wickedness. The enemy may work through some humans in our lives, but we're recognizing the real battle is the evil forces behind it. That's the one who's seeking to do a snare for me. Go to Proverbs 13 that Jake read for us this morning. Proverbs 13, 13, and 14. And I, this is so amazing. In Proverbs 13, it says, The one who despises the word will be in debt to it. But the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life to turn aside from the snares of death. And a couple of things to harvest from this. One is the recognition that what my response, what he's saying is my response to the word. If I neglect it, I suffer loss. If I honor it, Pursue it, obey it, have reverence for it. And, and obviously in scripture, reverence doesn't just mean I have this little awesome feeling while he's talking. And then I go, well, that was a good idea, God. And then I just keep doing my own thing. True reverence means, Father, I want to incorporate what you said into the way I operate. That's reverence. So if I have true honor and reverence for the word of God, now I gain. There is reward in honoring that word. There is loss in neglecting that word. And the phrase it uses is, I'm in debt to it. I now owe some area of my life, in a sense. God spoke amazing truth. He spoke deliverance. He spoke wisdom. He, he spoke strength. He spoke clarity or direction to me. And I neglected it. And then I can recognize that means in that area of my life where I neglect the word God, I'm now going to suffer some loss to that truth because I didn't apply it. That's amazing. But this is the hopeful part. But if I turn and give honor to the word, I gain. There is reward. He's not just talking here about eternal reward. Someday you go to heaven, I will give you your crown. And as we've talked about that, that is that is a, an analogy. The, the rewards of God are beyond anything we can comprehend. But he's saying right here on the planet, your life will experience gain, gain in relationship, gain in wisdom, gain in effectiveness, gain in joy. And, and the New Testament clarifies in depth and detail, peace. There will be joy and peace growing in our life. There will be fruitfulness growing in how we affect other people and how we are even a part of God's plan to bring others into the kingdom. Not everybody is an evangelist, but every believer plays a role in bringing unbelievers to the kingdom. Your love will be a factor. And maybe the guy next to you has the gift of evangelism and he puts in the hook and reels them in. But they're, they're ready to swallow the hook because they've been hanging around with you and your love has been genuine. And every now and then they get to hear that your love flows from your love relationship with God. You're not just a loving person. That has no saving power for people to think it's, Reg is just a nice guy. I think I'll go trust in Jesus. <laughs> that they know you have a love-faith relationship with a living God through Jesus Christ, his son, having died on the cross for your sins. And if they know that, now your love has meaning that can attract them to Jesus. And so my gain might be in other people's lives, but it will be a real gain. But he goes on to this. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life to turn aside from the snares of death. And Peter, Peter had that word for Jesus. Actually, let's go there real quick. John chapter 6. Now 
I remember one. We looked at this not that long ago, but it's a pretty powerful passage. So John 6 is where Jesus is giving some really hard truth. And he's got a lot of disciples. This is not just the 12. He's got a lot of disciples following him at this point. And then he says, if you really want to be my disciples, you have to drink my blood. You have to eat my body. Then you can be my disciples. And, and again, I, I know we've talked about this. That's gross. If we do not comprehend the spiritual dimensions of that, that would, especially for a good Jew who's honoring the Old Testament law, that would be gross. And many of his disciples left and they said, that's crazy, I'm out of here. And Jesus said, you know what? Not everybody is listening to what I'm really saying. That they so have to become identified to me and receive my life that they recognize that apart from me, they have no life. Those are the people ready to be my disciples. But then he turns to his own disciples and says, you guys leaving? And that's where, where Jesus says this in verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I've spoken to are spirit and are life. And drop down to verse 67. It says, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered to Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And, and that recognition that when we go to this, when we go to this, I don't care if you're in the Old Testament, you're in the New Testament, we are going to the words of Jesus Christ. So if we really got the concept, you know, in the New Testament, my, my Bible is that way, I believe. I think that's the best. Yes. In my Bible, it says the words of Jesus in red. The whole thing should be red. Jesus didn't say, well, you can ignore some of those other things. I didn't actually say them. Everything in there was said by Jesus Christ. Some of them were said by Jesus the man on planet Earth. But as the living God, Jesus takes credit for the whole thing. And so you and I get to have this wisdom. I don't treat any part of it like it's less true or less valuable just because it's not printed in red. And yes, I too, I, I can absolutely say this, I too find comfort when I can go, wow, Jesus said that. Okay, I'm giving that a little more authority. And Jesus said, well, I'm glad that could give you a little more reassurance. But I promise you, I said all the stuff in black too. And then you and I would go to the Word of God with that recognition, this whole Word was written by one mind. And it wasn't like when he spoke in red, he was a little more on track. And then he was a little sloppy when he was writing in black. That we would recognize all of this, from the beginning of understanding how sin came into the world, to the, to the final revelation of Jesus triumphing and rescuing the entire universe from the damage of sin and death. That entire thing is the story of the thoughts of Jesus working in pre-Israel, working in Israel, working in the church, one day working in the entire universe. That is all Jesus. And we know that, but we need to put that mindset on when we go into the Word. Father, I don't dismiss things. I know Christians, personally, who go, well, I don't like Paul, so I don't, I don't put a lot of thought or, or authority into the words of Paul. That means they also haven't read Peter. Because Peter's the one who says, Paul's writing scripture. And there are people who twist Paul's word like they do other scriptures. So here's Peter, one of, the, one of the apostles who walked with Jesus, granting and recognizing the authority of the Holy Spirit, who is the writer of Scripture, bringing the mind of Christ. And so if I set aside the words of Paul, I set aside the Old Testament, I set aside the Gospels, I set aside the book of Revelation, because it's so crazy and hallucinogenic. <laughs> If I set apart anything of the Word of God, I will be missing some words of life that are meant for me. And every word isn't meant for me at every particular moment, but every part of it belongs to me. 
Every part of the word of God belongs to you. And I know, again, I know quite a few Christians who say, I can't read the book of Revelation. It doesn't make sense to me. I would say all the more reason to read it. Read it until it makes sense. How about that? Different strategy. Read it till it makes sense. Now, don't just read the book of Revelation, because if it doesn't make sense, you're probably going to not get a lot of encouragement for the day. But read some Ephesians. And then Saturday, read some more Revelation. Take whatever passage of Scripture challenges you and is beyond you and say, Father, sometime, somehow, in the months and the years ahead, I want to get a handle on what your Spirit is speaking to me through these, these passages. It's all yours. It all belongs to me. I want to get there. Now, how many people here thoroughly, perfectly, completely understand the book of Revelation? I can't. Just won't go up. <laughs> if you have any questions about Revelation, you can speak to Teal. She's got it down. That recognition that there is nobody who can say, I completely understand any passage of scripture. Because again, if I had this with this wise and humble mindset, I recognize I will be a student of the word until the day I die. And I won't die because I'm ready to graduate. I will die because the journey's over. Not because God says, Wow, you understand everything, Reg. Come on home. Boy, would I be here a long time. And I don't want to be here that long. So this recognition that God is saying, I've prepared what you need to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And you're going to have to talk over the details of my word to know how to defeat him. Not just the big general principles. You're going to have to dive into the details so I can teach you the power and the authority of how you defeat him. And, and this sword is powerful against the enemy. I know I, I shared this at least once in the past, but I remember a long, long time ago when I was in the Marine Corps, and I was witnessing to a friend of mine, and he, he was always telling me he was an atheist. And as, as I was sharing with him one day, I just read the passage that morning. And when he said that again, he says, no, I, you know, I don't want to talk about all that stuff. I'm, I'm an atheist. And I said, no, you're not. And he was sort of taken aback. And he goes, yeah. And I said, no, you're not. You're not an atheist. And, and I, I trust that the Holy Spirit was leading in this. And he says, what do you mean? As a Marine would tend to say, there was probably a few adjectives and adverbs in <laughs> And I opened the word of God and I said, read that. And, he read, and I asked him to read it out loud. And he read it and it said, only the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. What's amazing, here's an atheist who presumably then doesn't believe that God wrote the Bible because there's no God to write it. And as soon as he read that one verse, he totally changed his mind. He didn't want God calling him a fool. So he changed it and said, well, okay, I know there's a God. I'm just not sure who he is and how we worship him or whatever. And I said, okay, now we have a different conversation. Now we can look at the evidence. Now we can discuss what might be true for you. Because now he's acknowledged because of one verse in scripture that said only a fool would say there is no God. Here's a total confirmed atheist suddenly willing to give up being an atheist because they recognize, I don't want the word of God declaring me to be a fool. Now, that was the Holy Spirit work. I bet there's millions of atheists who could read that verse and couldn't care less. But the Holy Spirit worked in that moment through the word of God to bring conviction to one man's truthfulness that he recognized, I can't use that excuse anymore. It doesn't fit because I don't want to be that fool. You have the word of God for your own life. You have the word of God for the lives around you. You have the word of God for your non-believing friends. You have the word of God for your brothers and sisters. You possess the word of God to equip yourself and others around you for spiritual victory. 
And that means we get to go into the details to gather up this sword for effective use. Let's pray together. Father, every time we look at your word, we have to acknowledge this, that we have only gathered up a tiny bit of what's available there. Father, a spoonful out of an ocean. But Father, your heart's longing, literally for me and for each of us, is that we would take that spoonful and we would see that this spoonful is honey to our lips. That this spoonful is better than gold and silver to our heart's treasure. Father, that we would take in your word, that we would relish the taste of one spoonful of truth, and we would digest it for it to change us and grow us. Father, I do pray that out of, out of just a few minutes in the word, that my work would be different this week, that my thought life, my relationships, my choices, my stand against the enemy, even in ways I didn't know I was dealing with the enemy, would be wiser and more effective because of your word. And Father, I pray that for each one of us. And I ask that your spirit would be stirring each one of us to desire that with you. That we desire one spoonful of your word to be powerful, to be effective, to be authority, to be joy, to be truth, to be deliverance to be a sword that, that tears apart the work of the enemy in some moment of our life. Father, I thank you that you look to the week ahead in each of our lives and you are joyful, literally. You are celebrating and joyful over what you've prepared for us. And your heart desires that we would celebrate with you because we are determined to come gather up our ammunition for the battle. Father, help us to keep establishing our ways to be your ways. Taking your ways as, as worth pursuing, even when it's totally unnatural to us. Father, I thank you that your plan for this life isn't that we frown and, and just grovel through the mud and the blood and the beer and somehow resent what we have to go through until we can get to heaven. Your plan is that we triumph that we reign in this life because we get it. We comprehend that Jesus dwelling in us is the word of life, that Jesus dwelling in us is life. Life isn't something you send us, Jesus. You are life. Help us to, to see this, to recognize it, and to choose it with greater peace, greater joy, greater confidence, day by day, year by year. Other. We can't do any of this ourselves. So thank you for the help you've prepared. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.